When life as you know it is flipped upside down, we struggle to make sense of it all. Why would a good God allow this to happen? Hi, I'm Sherry Pilkington, your host of Finding God in Our Pain. In early 2018, the deepest questions of my life erupted when I unexpectedly lost my husband of 32 years. Since then, I've searched the heart of God for what he has to say about pain and suffering. In this podcast, we'll discover how God enters into our pain, shepherds us through our darkest valley, and out into the green pastures once again. I'll bring you firsthand stories from women who will allow us into their authentic struggle, along with professional advice from experts, counselors, and others who can speak to what it looks like to navigate pain. Join me as we discover God's answers to the deepest cries of our shattered heart. Bonnie Rollins is my guest today, and she shares her personal experience of being a mom of three, rushing into marriage, discovering she'd made a terrible mistake, and what it was like to get through her divorce. Does God care about us when we make mistakes, or is it our fault and he just lets us get the consequences we deserve? Did God turn his back on her? Did he provide for her? Does God have a future for Bonnie? It's been my experience that God does not remove my consequences. However, as I say that, if God has indeed spared me some of my consequences, I may not even be aware that there was more to be had, if that makes sense. I hope your heart is as encouraged as mine to hear of God's presence in the midst of what we define as mistakes. Bonnie, good morning, and thank you for joining me here today and sharing a little bit of your heart with my listeners. Thank you, Sherry. I appreciate the opportunity. We're here to talk about a difficult marriage and then the divorce and having to, you know, get life back, get back on your feet and reorient yourself to life. Tell me a little bit about what life was like before you met the man that you would marry. Prior to meeting him, I was a single mom of uh, three amazing little children. I was climbing the corporate ladder. I was in the corporate world about to have my own warehouse. I was in logistics as operations manager. And they were going to move me to Dallas. And then uh, I met my soon-to-be husband at that time. Were you asking the Lord for a husband, for someone that you could spend your life with? Oh, yes. Yes. I had been single for several years. And I was just, I was tired. And Mm -hmm. I was thinking, Lord, I really wanted, because I had been previously divorced, actually. When I was 19, I ran off and got married and got divorced about a year and a half later. And so I was just needing the, needing the Lord, wanting somebody in my life. Definitely. What were some of the credentials that you were asking the Lord for? I, I wanted him to be a man of God, not just a, a faith, but ability to lead the family. I wanted to be a farmer. <laughs> really? Okay. <laughs> I, I knew from the corporate world to farm life, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm really good at the corporate world, but I wanted that simple, I say simple life, it's nothing simple about farming, being able to raise my children and and be at home and take care of them. I wanted to be able to do that if that could be in the cards. So you meet this young man and you feel like he's the one. What were the confirmations for you that the Lord was giving you? We actually met on one of those online dating sites. (laughs) We prayed together. We would do Zoom meetings because we were in different states. So we would actually get on Skype calls or Zoom or whatever, and we would chit chat and we would pray together and we were going through Bible study together. I remember when we sent pictures of our kids just to show each other our kids, his, his daughter and my son looked like twins. Oh, for wow. twins. It was 
crazy. We were both looking at these pictures going, wait, what, what, what? Like who's, why do you have a picture of my child? <laughs> they were, there were so many different things. I mean, just really being able to, to have somebody who wanted to pray with me and pray for me and for my children and, and do Bible study and stuff together. That was our form of date and, mm-hmm. and getting to know each other was going through Bible studies and stuff together over, over zoom chats. And I was like, okay, so this is, this is a guy, a man from God. He wants to pray with me. He's getting to know me and know my heart was very refreshing and beautiful to me. And I thought, okay, this is right. This is where this is supposed to be. That would have been favorable for me as far as he's interested in God. Yes. In hindsight, because hindsight's always so much more valuable. Right. (laughs) But when you look back in hindsight, did you think that he was genuine in that? Or do you think there's a difference between a man of God and then a man who believes in God? Or is there any distinction? I did the foolish thing of doing the whirlwind. We met and I fell for it. And we married in a little over a month. There is a lot to be said in getting to really take your time and know somebody. One thing that he did was he, he cried. He seemed genuinely... Mm hurt by things in his past. Genuinely repentant is what it felt like because most men don't cry. He would cry. He would uh, just almost weep. Um, It wasn't until being married for a while that I realized that was a control tactic. Not Uh, sure I would have thought of that. And who would, I guess, (laughs) if you haven't been treated that way in the past? Correct. Correct. The thing about it is so many people, the way society is conditioned, men don't generally cry. So when they do, there's something really deep in there. They're really connected to their feelings, something like that. The unfortunately sadness of that is that sometimes that is a form of manipulation. I'm not saying always because there are some people that really do have that, mm-hmm. that heart and, and that is a true deep feeling for them. And the only way to know that is time. Well, I think how half the population could probably say that man or woman has, have fallen true. for their emotions over facts, maybe. I don't know if that's your particular situation. Probably, yes. Well, and, and not just that, but wanting something so desperately rather than really seeking, taking time and praying, just going, okay, well, if he's going to pray with me and he's going to do this, then he must be the one you sent, right? And going for it. So I should have taken my time and sought more Mm -hmm. rather than just going, okay, thank you. You answered. I'm done. (laughs) Well, I can't tell you how many times I've gotten ahead of God, not in marriage necessarily, but yeah, I've gotten ahead of the Lord. And then I'm out there running, catching my consequences going, Lord, wait, I thought you. And he's like, baby, I'm back here. I don't know where you are up running by yourself, sweetheart. I've had that happen many times in my life. You decide that you, this is the one Mm -hmm. Snatch him up and run to the, run down the aisle with him and you move out to the farm though. It sounds like he wanted to make that come true for you. Like he wanted to meet that need or that vision that you had and the desire of your heart to be a stay at home mom. He wanted that life this came out later in counseling. He wanted that life as a form of control, not as a form of what he believed was godly or right. It was a form of control. If he could control and know where I was at every moment, he could control my life. Again, time and prayer, careful, prayerful consideration probably would have brought me to a different outcome. (laughs) Was he using scripture to 
use control as well? Because some people will use scripture out of context in order to control. Yes. Oh, yes. His favorite thing to say to me was better to live under a bridge than with a, a argumentative woman. There was so much division that he created. At one point, we were involved with one church, and they says, well, we're going to go to this other church because you need to be under the thumb. It was a very legalistic church, an actual full church body that believed that if there was anything wrong in the marriage, it was the woman's fault somehow. She must have done something wrong because it couldn't be the man's fault. What were your prayers at this time? My prayers were, at first, they were, show me how to show my husband the love that he needs to feel in order to be healed from what's hurting Mm -hmm. him because the hurt he has isn't from me. Mm -hmm. And the other thing was to show him where his hurt comes from. I'm paying for someone else's crime or whatever they did. I'm punished for what somebody else did. And there were times he would say things and my mind was blown because I never knew where it came from. It finally, I think it was about two years before it came out in counseling. He said, anytime she disagrees with me in any way, I hear my father's voice telling me how bad I am and how horrible I am. So that was like, you know, it just opened a whole new dimension, but it was like, wow, okay, this is where all this, because counselor kept saying, you try to do your part, let God work on him, you know, you just fix your responses, it's okay, trust him, let him handle all the money, let him handle everything, okay, you know. Yeah, losing yourself along the way. Yeah. And, and I know that she, that counselor meant well, she was following biblical practices. The problem was the husband wasn't, and she was not wrong in telling me, you listen to God, you follow God, you're, you need to be right with God and not worry about his response at the same time, perpetuating and allowing further abuse Mm -hmm. was in the wrong sounds like she, the therapist, was trying to work with the one who was willing to be worked with rather than find excuses in past um, relationships, because we can all, I feel like we can all stand in our life and say, you know, my childhood wasn't perfect. It was pretty this or pretty that. And it has caused me to frame my view of people and situations a certain way. But at some point it becomes an excuse because we have to take responsibility as adults to know, hey, this is not really working out for me. What do I need to do to do this different? And it is hard to toe the line with you're making the changes and it's getting worse and worse. And were you wondering why God wasn't moving on your husband's life and changing him? Oh, yeah. Um, Yes. I, I mean, I had angry conversations with God, like, you can fix this. Why aren't you fixing this? You brought me all the way out here. Why did you bring me out here for this to be so bad? You know, and, and, not to say that it was all horrible because no, I mean, yes, I was blessed to stay home with my children at that point. I took care of the farm. I had cattle. I had like a half acre garden. It was insane. I might've got carried away, <laughs> <You know? laughs> but I, I was canning and I'm like, okay, so all this stuff is living that life I wanted. So count my blessings. Just you know, what's with the husband thing. And I would have those arguments with him. Okay. You gave me all this, but you give me a husband who hates me and he can't love anybody. And like, what is going on, God? It was hard, but those were those hard conversations. And, and I just keep coming back to, you know, he loves a broken and contrite heart. And I'm like, okay, I've been broken long enough. (laughs) 
What were your impressions about what was he saying to you, the Lord? Different things throughout the years. Yeah, we we jumped into it. I heard that. I was told, you know, yeah, you jumped into it, but God can work with this. He can still work with this, right? Was that you telling yourself, though, I jumped into this, this is what I get? Or is the Lord saying, sweetheart, you got ahead of me? I think it was me because I remember I remember my ex saying that to me. Oh, well, we didn't wait. I, I just jumped in and I said, well, if, if God said no, he would have stopped it. Mm. You know, and I remember I, to me telling him that I said, and so he can still work with this regardless of if we jumped in or not, mm-hmm. we have to be open to that and willing to. So I won't say that the one thing I know that I heard very, very clearly, and this was in like an absolute, one of those broken right. moments of why God, why he said, uh, you know, honey, he has choice too. And he has to choose me. And that's what it really came down to was he, he started choosing self-medication. He didn't want to change that. Anyone who's ever worked with an addict knows you can't force a change. They have to want that change. And until they do, it's not going to matter what you do or say. And until they even admit that they have that problem, it's not going to matter because there was no admittance. It was totally fine to be drinking beers while having six kids in the car. No one cares. I have a badge. I can deal with it. Mm-hmm. And he did. He had a badge. It sounds like he's making all the wrong choices as far as even as his own quality of life, keeping his family together, keeping his family safe. He's not making any sort of change. At what point, what broke the camel's back? What? was the moment where you said, I need to get out. This is not safe for any of us. There were two different points in the marriage. One was when he sent me to go pick up his daughters. They had done an overnight with some friends from church. I went there to go pick them up. And when I'm there, they said, we need you to come in and talk to us. They sat me down and they said, you're not a child abuser. And of course, my jaw drops, my eyes get huge. You need to watch yourself. Your husband is telling everyone that you're a child abuser. That's why we had the girls this week and we were interviewing them. Wow. I've never abused a child in my life. I have custody of my children, full custody. I, I work with kids. I drive a school bus. I love kids. All these kids come to our house. I'm like, what is going on? Why would he say such a thing? So I go home and I confront him and he's telling you are a child abuser. And his daughters are going, she's not an abuser. And we go to counseling and he finally says, well, I need to make it to where no one will ever want you. So you can never leave me. Oh my word. Okay. God, what do you, what are you doing here? What are you doing to me? How do I proceed? What do I, I want to run. I want to run. I've never had this before. And yet I have, no money, no way out. He's destroyed my credit. And now he's trying to destroy my reputation to make sure that I can't go anywhere or do anything. We kept going to the the counselor and the counselor. The second time was we had, this was at the very end. We had a New Year's Eve party and his best friend and his wife was there. And I knew things were going on, but I couldn't prove it. And the counselor had kept saying, you stay until you can prove it. God will show you when he wants you to know. I'm like, okay. Well, that night they both had a little too much liquor and got a little too friendly in the kitchen in front of his children. Oh, wow. 
And we woke up and his children confronted him after all the alcohol wore off. I had told him prior to that is, I know you're cheating. If I ever see it and prove it, I'm out. Mm-hmm. So him knowing that he ran off and filed for divorce and said it was because I was abusive. Did you struggle with divorce even in that situation? Like, did, for instance, when I say struggle with divorce, did you go to the Lord and say, I failed or I have to break my vow. Any conversation like that with the Lord, any sort of connection there? You said, Lord, I'm out. Catch me. I'm jumping. (laughs) I was, well, I was still angry. I really was. I, I still wanted God to fix it. I'm like, why did you bring me here and give me everything I want except this? Why, why aren't you fixing him? I had these conversations of you could just snap your fingers and you can fix him. You, you told me this is my life. This is my home. This is everything. Now you're going to take everything away. Why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. What did I do? What did I do so bad? That was me. What mm-hmm. have I done so bad? I've done everything you asked. I, I prayed for this man. I prayed for his mistress. I, I took care of the kids. I took care of the farm. I did everything you asked me to do. And you're still taking everything away. I, it was a beautiful brokenness in a way because I, where we lived, our farm was surrounded by some of the most beautiful, amazing, godly people I'd ever met. I was so broken. I couldn't think of where to go, what to do. I couldn't even think straight. I couldn't talk anymore. And so I, I just sent a text to him. I'm like, I, I'm, I'm broken. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to do from, right. from here. And she said, I'll be right over. <laughs> you know? That's sweet. That's yeah. very sweet. But that's all I had to say is I'm broken. I think sometimes that's the hardest thing for us as human beings to say, because it's, it's not cool to be broken. We're supposed to have it all together and, Mm -hmm. and keep your chin up and put that smile on and, and don't ever let anybody know your mess. It came to a point where I just had to say, I am broken. Mm -hmm. And she came straight over and just sat down and said, you don't have to tell me anything and just started praying with me and, and, and giving me Bible verses to read. To have that in that moment is probably the most beautiful way God could have met me. And that's that submission when we finally quit trying to do everything in our own strength and we submit ourselves to the Lord and he does such a beautiful work. Whether or not you got ahead of him, snatched this man yeah. up for yourself and got married in a month or whether God said, do it. And then your husband has the ability of free choice and he chooses not to stay yeah. in the marriage or make the marriage work, but God still is there still wanting to heal you and hold you and catch your tears and walk you yes. through whatever that looks like, whether it is that literal Valley of death, anytime things are flipped upside down, I think identity becomes in yes. question. Oh, and yes. so what were you, what were some of your thoughts there as far as now the marriage is ending. I think there comes that moment of, of like a shame or a guilt or what did I did wrong? Because especially for me, I was in the corporate world. I'm climbing the corporate ladder. I have this great big job. I can pay all my bills and take care of my kids. I didn't need that, but I wanted a guy. I wanted a man. And now I, I went from being, you know, really intelligent, great job doing all this stuff to being fully manipulated by someone it took everything from me and, you know, from keeping my credit great and taking care of everything to now I have no credit. Like I have less than no credit. (laughs) Um, He's destroyed all of that. And what am I going to do? And how did this, how did I let this happen to me? 
how could I be so stupid to allow that to happen? And how am I going to tell people that I messed up and I allowed this happen to me because I'm smarter than that. I should have never allowed that to happen to me. These were all the things that went through my head. Satan wants to attach themselves to our traumas and dig into you with that guilt and shame so that that's all you hang on to. And that's all you play over and over in your mind and therefore separate you from the goodness of God. Did you ever make peace with that? Did God ever heal you in a way? Did you rewrite lies with scripture, prayer, worship? A slight revelation came to me. I was um, vice president of a Christian Women's Network in, in Grand Junction when I was out there. When things were going really bad and I was up there, but I, I, I wasn't telling anybody and I didn't think anybody knew. I've been hiding it forever. They said, Bonnie, you're going through a divorce. How are you standing up here? How are you doing this? How are you doing that? I, I don't get it. Like I'd be falling apart. And I, I remember having just this moment and going, well, God, that's the only way. That's really the only way I'm standing here today. That's the only way I'm up and I'm okay. When I finally did say something was when one lady looks at me and says, we didn't know what to say. And we figured you'd tell us when you wanted to. And I remember screaming in my head, why wouldn't you say anything if you knew? I'm thinking I'm hiding everything and everything's great and you're not saying anything to me and I'm thinking I'm alone. And and so I thought things have to change because so many of us, we think we're hiding it. Everybody's afraid to say anything. Everybody's afraid to talk. Everybody's afraid to know the, the messy. So I just started really seeking God. There are times I'm sitting there reading my, my Bible and there's just tears, tears mm-hmm. pouring down my face. I can't see what's on that page. And I don't know what I read. I read something, but I don't know. It hasn't engaged the brain. I text that same friend going, I can't get through it. I can't read anything on the pages right now. Nothing is engaging my brain. And she said, stand up and worship. I would go turn on the Christian music radio station, still with these tears in my eyes. And I'm telling you, every time a song comes on that hits home, that's right where you need to be. And if you are obedient in that and you are, are, are worshiping in the middle of that storm, ugly tears coming down and I'm lifting up my hands and, and, and kind of dancing in the living room. And I tell you, it was like just feeling this calm, just feeling that whole wave of emotion, letting go, giving it all in there to God. And, and then I, I would end up on my knees on the couch just praying and thanking him, realizing, being grateful for the blessings I had versus being upset for the things he was taking away because I still had food on the table. He left me with $300 and cut me out of the bank accounts and everything. I'm like, how am I going to do this? I would come home. There's a basket of food on my front porch and I'd hit my knees and just cry and pray right there. Or there would be a gift card for gas in my, in my mailbox. He sent little angels to minister to me that I never would have seen all of that. I would have probably never known that love of God Mm -hmm. had I not gone through what I went through. He shows up in all of the painful places of life. Clinging to scripture, just clinging to it and flipping that script on that, Mm -hmm. that conversation in my head. Every time it would come into my head, I would, I would say, no, that's the enemy. Nope. And, And I'd pray or I'd open my Bible, or I'd turn on worship music every time combating the lies of the enemy with worship or, or prayer or study. Sometimes that meant getting up out of bed and sitting at that kitchen table 
and reading. And other times I remember just trying to sleep. I would sit there and just say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Cause if I didn't, everything else came into my mind and I didn't sleep. There's a lot of power in that name, Jesus. So just to repeat that over and over again, and it does, it's a shield that keeps out those thoughts that want to penetrate your peace. And I don't think there's many things as hollow as a dark night and both physically and metaphorically. So when you're laying in bed at night and that house is quiet and hollow and it screams, you're alone, you're by yourself, Mm -hmm. question God's goodness or whether he's going to protect you through the night, not just that night, but any dark time. Satan does his best work in the dark and isolation. It would be things like, oh, well, you're here all alone after you did all the work and he's over there with his mistress living together. And and it seems like he's getting everything. And it was like, why is he getting everything? And I'm losing everything. And he's like, you're not losing everything. You just have a new life. There came a moment of complete and total peace. One, when he told me he has choice and this is his choice. And then the second one, when I, I very distinctly heard is I am saving your life. God can provide me for all of this. He can restore all of that later. He can give me a different life that he wants to give me. And he provided money. Like I got a tax return that came in three weeks early or than it should have right at the exact right time to be able to load up a truck and move. I had friends help me. I found a, a place to live, everything. He just put everything in motion, but I had to submit to his will. I need to let go. And I had to let go of everything that I thought that I wanted mm-hmm. and I thought that I should have <laughs> and say, okay, God, it is all in your hands. And when I did that, he put everything into motion to get me where I needed to be, to provide for me, to provide for my son, to provide for everything. He provided every single step of the way, but the whole thing relies on me saying, do what you want, God. I want to come back to that, but real quick, you mentioned earlier that you had three children and just to keep our listeners oriented, you now are talking about one son. My other children are adults. My daughter's in Colorado. She has a great, great life. She's doing what she knew she was going to do since she was three. My son is in California because that is where most of our family lives. Backing up just a little bit when you mentioned something about talking to people they knew, but you weren't saying anything Mm -hmm. and that needs to change. But what do you think can change about that? Do you think that you need to be a little more vulnerable with people you can trust? Or do you think they need to inquire? Because marriage is... People do not want to get themselves in the middle of marriages. I think needs to happen is, first of all, you do need to know who you're being vulnerable with because not everyone who says they're your friend is your friend. And gossip is a nasty, nasty thing. Mm. But having one or two really good people that you can be vulnerable with, you need that, I think. Um, And that is something... God had to teach me because I've been a very private person my whole life. I never believe in taking anything in my marriage or relationships outside of me, my partner and and God. Even counseling was hard for me because I'm like, I don't talk about this. It's nobody's business what we struggle with. The caveat to that is having a godly friend. Because if you're confiding in 
you know, your best friend from high school who's really into the world, it, the advice you're going to get is, you know, well, forget that one. We, there's plenty of fish in the sea. Come on, you know, just, and it's going to be very worldly. And you need to, to have someone who's going to be really honest and open with you. But part of that is you have to be honest and open as well. You have to be willing to be vulnerable and say, yeah, my life's not perfect. Yes, there's issues. Yes, I need help. And the cool thing that I had with that friend who, who earned my trust was I didn't have to say what was wrong. And she was willing to say, okay, let's pray. Without knowing, without me having to go into any gritty details. And I, mm-hmm. and I think more of us have to be willing to do that instead of going, oh, I want to hear the juicy gossip. Say, mm-hmm. okay, you need prayer. I'm available. Let's pray. I don't have to know what it is because God knows what it is. Mm-hmm. And, and that gives a door for people to be able to say, okay, this is someone I can trust. This is someone I can talk to. That other, the kind of the other point where you said, you know, people don't want to get involved in marriage. It's not that you need to be involved in that. You need to be the friend to the person who needs the friend offering no judgment. Also being honest because they tell you what, the counselor brought up some things to me, you know, because we're, none of us are perfect. There is healing for both people in that situation. Yes. Now, I think to what degree we're healed is up to us, whether we agree to participate, whether we agree to do what we're asked to do or, and learn from those things. Yes. So there's responsibility yes. on both ends of the party, as well as healing for both sides of the party, if you will. Absolutely. There's so much from that that I learned about myself. Learning how to speak kinder. I'm a very matter of fact person, but learning that relationally, that's not how it works. Relationally, you do need to speak kinder. I remember Brent Hansen, a a DJ said, because he's Asperger's, I'm a little bit there too. And he had said, he he used to always think, well, I've got to be right. And I'm going to prove my point because I know I'm right. And he was proud of that. And he says, but then I realized it was more about relationship than being right. You choose your battles on when you, when you need to be right and when you need to be relational. I think that's self-preservation. You want yes. to be right. So it's good when you're talking about be relational over being right. So huge. Yes. So huge. And that was something that God had to get through to me through all of that. So, I mean, he, he really did use that entire situation to bring me a lot deeper and closer to him, but also to learn where my shortcomings were, where I needed to, to really pray and, mm-hmm. and grow. Something that you said, I think will answer a kind of summarizing what you were sharing about how can we help somebody who's in a marriage that we know something's not right. But I think what you were saying is prayer and their presence, just God's presence is everything. And so I think a person's presence, I think about when I lost my husband, people could not do anything for me. They couldn't say enough things. Everything they said could not touch the pain. It couldn't change my circumstance, but yet their presence was everything. And so I think someone coming in and sitting alongside you, and it's important that you find the person, like you said, who is trustworthy, but they also have to have this element where they're not going to hold it against the spouse. If there's any hope of it working out, you can't have someone who's holding a grudge against your spouse. So that's even another layer of somebody that you need to find. That is very true. If your friend comes alongside you and they're bad mouthing along with you, that actually feeds that. That. That, that feeds that demon 
just heightens it. It just makes you more and more, yeah, well, I can see it. They can see it. You're reinforcing. I have the right to be really angry. There was a, a point where I said, well, you need to pray for her too. And I was like, no, I don't want to pray for her. I want to pray she gets hit by a bus. God honors obedience until our heart comes into mm-hmm. alignment with what he's trying to achieve. So letting go of my own hurt or my own anger, letting go of, well, they wronged me to be able to be obedient to God. It's hard. He does come alongside you in that and, and he rewards that obedience. And so it's more than worth it. You can forgive and then still have to deal with the pain. Like I have done that before. Lord, you're asking me to forgive. You You don't really ask. You command that we forgive. And so I'm going to forgive. I'm going to be obedient to you. I'm going to forgive. I wish no harm on this person. I don't want to see that person be treated a certain way because I know that their actions are going to bring consequences. And I want to pray a covering over them. But you still have to deal with the pain. And I, that was what I took to the Lord. And that's what I worked out with the Lord was the pain of it all. What do you know now about God that you didn't know before experiencing the abuse and then the divorce? That no matter how dark and how bleak it looks, he is right there with me. You know, everybody always tells you, oh, it's darkest before the dawn and and he's holding your hand or he's wrapping his arms around you. And you can't feel that. It's not a tangible thing that we can feel. So I think until you've really experienced experience that and let go of yourself enough to experience that because I do believe it it comes mostly with that obedience with that willing to say I am broken he's poised and ready to to wrap his arms around you he's ready to provide for you in ways you never thought or imagined possible no matter how dark or how bleak it gets no matter where I was he was there. He provided everything that I needed, even though I'm sitting there going, I don't know how I'm going to live on $300. And, you know, my whole job for the past six years has been this farm and our business. And now I have no work history and I have to go work. He provided the job. He provided the people, you know, and, and angels come in all shapes and sizes. And he provided the people through, through the women's network, through the job that he provided for me, two of those people were like, I'm coming over to your house to chop your wood for you for the winter. I needed to move, but I had to have a surgery and I'm having the surgery. And my friends are like, well, we're going to come over and help you pack. People just showed up to help me with the packing and everything. Me being obedient, me saying, okay, I'm broken and I need you and I need help because asking for help is not something that comes easy for me. So saying I need help, You're making a point here that I really like. You're being obedient. So you're submitting yourself to the God's leading, but you're also being vulnerable to God. And I think that's key. We we were talking earlier about being vulnerable to people, but we need to be vulnerable to God in order for Him to work in us and through us. I think vulnerability also allows us to see His presence in the details of the things that you're listing. We can be so wrapped up in our own pain and the right to be mad. Like you had a right to be mad. You had a right, but what was the benefit of the right? It's a vicious little circle of chase your anger and your frustration. So being vulnerable to God, I believe is pretty strong. It's right up there with finding his presence in that. To me, peace marks his presence for me. And there was this thick, just peace in the midst of great pain. The pain was still there 
for me, but that peace that surpasses all understanding. That's all I could think of. Yes. Your peace that passes understanding what you were saying. I prayed for that all the time. I had to, I, I was like, I need that peace because I'm spinning around in my own mind. I would pray over and over for that peace because I knew that's what I needed. I know when we're dealing with that pain and that agony and we're asking for that or looking for that presence and that peace that surpasses understanding, God does pierce our pain with his presence and with his truths to use his word to rewrite this pain or to ground it, if you will. In short, God pierces our pain with his presence, his truth, and his love. And I think that's that peace that surpasses understanding for me. It is. It is. What are you doing to maintain your relationship and your intimate connection with God now in this particular phase of life? I have found that absolute beauty of getting up a little bit early to spend some time with God. I didn't do that before. I'm like, yeah, I don't have time before 4 a.m. You know, a million excuses. I got kids. I have this. I have that. The job I'm in now, it starts a little bit later in the day. So I'm up at six o'clock. I get up, get my coffee and get my Bible out. And I pray on that. And I say, all right, show me what you want me to learn today. And I open that Bible and start reading. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's very profound. And sometimes I'm like, huh? <laughs> you know? I'm not sure what I'm supposed to get from that one. <laughs> You're saving it for later. Yeah, exactly. It's an investment now for later. Yes. <laughs> I have found so much beauty in that. And something that's been interesting. I'm, ne- I'm not a journaler. I'm just not, it's not my thing, but I remember doing some prayer journals when I was going through that. I found them the other day and to read them and to, to look back and go, wow, God answered all of those prayers in these past years. Sometimes we forget what we pray for and what we received. It's past. Okay. I got that On to the next. And so going back and seeing those and reading those prayers and going, wow. What were some of the things that he, he brought to fruition for you? Prayers that he answered. Prayers for the job, prayer for home, prayers for the move, for my children to, to be where they are and thriving for different people who were sick, who needed healing, uh-huh. different things in, in friends' lives, just so many different things that, that we often forget and say, oh yeah, I prayed for these people and that happened. And, and I maybe didn't even realize it at the time that it happened, that I had been praying for them you know? uh-huh. and getting a college degree. I mean, after my divorce, I'm like, what am I supposed to do? What am I, supposed to do? I don't know what I'm doing. I'm working for the school district, but this can't be all there is. Cause uh-uh, you know, this is horrible. And he says, go back to school. And I was like, uh-uh, <laughs> you know, I don't want to go back to school. I didn't like school the first time. <laughs> yeah. But anytime God calls us into something, there's a learning curve to it. I have discovered oh, that. Man. Yes, there is. And he told me three times in, in 24 hour period. And I went, okay, fine. (laughs) And I went back to school. He gave me grants for all of it. I graduated in December with my bachelor's degree in childhood education. And now I'm putting that to use. Yeah. I, I start a job on Tuesday. I've been in insurance for a while doing Mm -hmm. that and it was paying the bills. Mm -hmm. And now this opportunity came up. He put me in this position and they, I got laid off. And I'm like, now what? I don't want to do insurance. Ah, you know, and he's like, no, 
you're going to work with children. That's what you got your degree for. This is what I've been setting you up for for the past four years. And I walked in and that lady sends me an email a couple hours later. Okay, we're offering you the job. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> so, a God yeah. moment. Yeah, a total God moment. I'm here studying to make sure I'm on top of my game to start mm. this wonderful job on Tuesday. Yeah. I get to work with um, children all day, children and families with special needs and disabilities. And, and it's amazing. And that's what he's been working on me for, for years. What are you praying for right now? I'm in a rental, so I'm wanting to set down my roots. But aside from that, for favor in this job, that I am going to be able to reach and help many families and many children. Mm-hmm. And not just that, but that I am going to show his love through it. Those are my prayers. Um, my son, my beautiful son here. I always play for my children, of course. M- my son has Tourette syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's on the, the, the spectrum helping him find his, his way and get his needs fulfilled to, to be out in society is something that I pray for all the time (laughs) and more opportunity to work with women, um, which prior to that marriage would have never been my prayer because I was never friends with women. And have that friendship without the judgment. Because I tell you, we are judgmental. And many times of ourselves, but also of other women. And so I make it a point to find something beautiful about everybody I see. And to compliment them. Your hair is beautiful. Your shoes are beautiful. Your eyes are beautiful. Or just talk to them, compliment somebody every day that I meet. You probably Uh, have a different perspective for women who have gone through divorce too. You probably have more compassion, maybe empathy. I do. When he moved me to California, the, the... person I made best friends with was it was twofold her husband was cheating on her Mm. and I I saw that and I was able to reach out to her and I was like okay God if that's what you have for me let's do it and reach out to her and in doing that we became really great friends and she got me involved with working with children uh, abused and neglected children it's once a week out of the year that I spend in my vacation time to go love on these children and do it. And that happened through having been through that divorce, having been through that, that abuse and having seen what it does to a person and, mm-hmm. and quietly reaching out to her mm-hmm. and just saying, I've had that look before too. I think that's part of the redemption story. I believe that God involves us in his redemption story, meaning yeah. He never allows anything that he has not already planned to redeem. But part of that redemption is that we turn around and help somebody else get through what we've already been through. It gives purpose to our pain that we now can minister, attend to, encourage, let somebody cry on your shoulder when they're going through what we've already been through. So I think that's a good thing. Absolutely. Is there anything else? that you'd like to share that I have not asked about? Have I left anything out, anything else that's on your mind or on your heart that you want to share before I ask you my final question? The biggest thing for me through the whole thing was learning that we as Christian women, I think we need to be more willing to deal with the ugly. We need to be less judgmental. We need to listen more and love more. Um, And just Be willing to be vulnerable because there's so much disconnect in that. We seem to always be in competition. 
It's not a competition because God loves us all, no matter what, no matter what we've done. Being that friend and not be judgmental and to just listen and be present, I think is really the biggest thing for me through all of that, that I, I learned for me and learned what I would have needed and, and needed in that moment and how to help other women who need that same thing. God of the Holy Bible is the God of relationship. And so that's what the, it sounds like you're saying to me, be mm-hmm. in genuine relationship with people, yes. show them the heart of God, as far as coming alongside those who need help and loving on those who just need to know they're not alone. And I hope that's what mm-hmm. we're doing right now as you're sharing your story and letting them know, Hey, I've been there and done that, but God's still good. And these are the yes. things that he did for me. So relationship is key. Final question for our time together. When you think back, does anything stand out for you? Something beautiful that God said in the dark at a very crucial time? Oh, man. There's, there were so many things. The biggest thing for me, he said to me, be still. And, and that being still is not sit on your couch. And, you know, it, it was, if you're never still, how can you hear the voice of God? We fill our lives with so much noise. And that is a trauma response. That is a verifiable trauma response is we fill our life with noise so we don't have to deal with that trauma. He just kept telling me, be still. When I could sit down in that moment, that's when that peace that passes understanding comes. That's part of it, of being still. It allows you to hear God's voice. You can't hear it in the middle of the noise. You can't, you can't hear it with everything going on around you. And you can't hear it when you're trying to fix everything on your own. So if you sit down and just be still for a moment and listen, you can hear God's plan. You can hear what he's telling you, what he wants you to know in the moment. You can't do it if you won't be still. It's that being with God over doing for God or even doing so that we can stay busy. and not have to deal with our pain. Important for any of us to spend time to be with God, because I do believe, like you just said, that's when you recognize that there is his presence that's there. It's sitting there. It's waiting for you to engage with his Mm -hmm. presence. And that's when you do get that peace that surpasses understanding or that heaviness, thickness, whatever it is that you know, you feel it. Yes. Thank you so much, Bonnie. You've been wonderful to share your story and how God encouraged your heart, got you to the next breath, the next day, and hope for a new tomorrow. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Thank you for your time and for sharing this experience with my guest. I hope you have found encouragement for today and a deeper revelation of God's heart in the midst of pain and suffering. We'd love to have you as a subscriber to Finding God in Our Pain so that you can be connected with all my guests as they share their personal experiences and professional knowledge about pain and suffering. And because this podcast is a division of the website, A Life of Thrive, for more information and the various ways you can connect with us, please visit the website, alifeofthrive.com. I look forward to sharing more transparent stories from the hearts of women who intimately know what it means to have their world flipped upside down, their authentic struggle to make sense of it, and what recovery and healing looks like. Till then, sweet woman, remember you are not alone and that God speaks the most beautiful things in the dark.